podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You're listening to a weekly podcast made by Miami Dolphin fans for Miami Dolphin fans. Your source for entertaining Dolphin news, insight, and general conversation. Here's your host, Michael Fink. Hey everyone, this is Mike. Uh, the Fin Fans Podcast is part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. All right, boys, there's been a lot of changes on the Dolphins the past week. Patrick Graham is going to the New York Giants to replace him. We have hired Josh Boyer. Jerry Shaplinski is also going uh, to the Giants, and we've hired Robbie Brown. Now, Boyer was a, a cornerback coach and defensive passing game coordinator. Uh, he spent 13 years in New England. He'll be the sixth defensive coordinator in his many seasons for the Dolphins. And Brown is filling in the role that uh, Caldwell was actually hired for. Uh, still no word on Caldwell's future. Brown was West Virginia's special assistant to the head coach and senior analyst. He came to West Virginia after serving as the offensive quality control coach and defensive assistant coach with the Jets since 2015, where he worked with uh, Chan Gailey. While with New York, he, he assisted both the offensive and defensive coordinators in all day-to-day operations. Now, prior to that, uh, Brown served as the run game coordinator and running back coach at uh, South Alabama and was the offensive coordinator and quarterback coach at Northwestern State in 2013 uh, and had the same role for four years. He he also served as offensive coordinator at Henderson State. Uh, The Fins are also hiring former Illinois coach Austin Clark, who will coach the outside linebackers, and Kurt Kuntz, who spent seven years at Struthers High School in Ohio, to coach the defensive backs. He replaces Tony Oden, who was uh, left over from Adam Gase's staff. Now, at this time, Miami still needs to find a offensive line coach. All right, so this evening I'm here with uh, Jim Johnson. Good evening, everybody. And Louis Ragoni. Hello, Dolphins. So, guys, I just went over the uh, coaching changes. Uh, Lou, what are, what are your thoughts uh, with all the coaching turnover? Well, Mike, as long as the guy at the top is still there in Flores. I'm okay with it. You know, again, we have to trust in his decisions in regard to coaching, in regard to players, you know, everybody around him. So it is what it is. I mean, you know, my opinion on coaching is this, is that you're only as good as um, the players that play for you to an extent. Now, I know that's not completely true, but over the years, you've seen a hell of a lot of average coaches become really good coaches in the NFL because of the players that they had playing for them. Now, uh, there are times where the coaches are above and beyond that, and there's few and far between. I mean, you guys, the guys that are in the Hall of Fame, you know, the Shulas of the world, those type of guys, Chuck Knoll, um, even though they had really, really good players, especially Knoll, you know, they were still icons in regard to head coaching. So, you know, when it comes to these guys that are coaching underneath the head guy, you know, I'm okay with change. You know, it's not like we were world beaters last year. We didn't have a lot of talent. It's not like we have a, um, an established group of players here and an, and an established coach here at this point. So I, I don't think it's all that bad. Any of the moves, I think it'll be fine. I think we're going. We're not going to skip a beat. You know, we're going to go in the next season, and we're going to be just as productive. The consensus seems to be is what in the world is going on with all of these coaches getting you know moved out and you know being replaced by relatively unheard of people. The lack of experience is a bit of a concern in in certain positions, but. I don't feel it's that big of a deal. Everybody seems to be upset about the continuity of the team and we were building a culture and all of that. And the way I look at it is probably half of our team is going to be different for the 2020 season. So these new coaches are going to be dealing with all new faces anyway. So you're going to have new game plans. Uh, I don't see it as a big problem. So like you said, Lou, I think we're just going to keep on going. And uh, if Flores is the legit head coach that we think he is, then he's going to make it work with whoever he brings in. Uh, we just got to hope that 
you know, we these coaches can can bring up some of these young guns and uh, you know make them rise for the occasion on Sunday. The one position coach that they haven't brought in yet is an offensive line coach, and you know I know Mike and I would love to see uh, you know uh, a high end good offensive line coach come in and and give us something to be proud of on that offensive line, but uh, that that's still up in the air. That is up in the air, but by, by and large, I agree with what you guys both said. I'm not overly concerned about it. I mean, you know, good coaches have turnover. That's what happens. You know, you, you've certainly seen it in New England, and you're going to see it here. If, if Flores is successful, there's going to be a certain amount of turnover from year to year. You guys watched the game last night? I did. Yeah, yep. All the talk is the quarterbacks. What'd you think? Well, I felt that Mr. Burroughs is just above and beyond. Uh, Lawrence, you can see he's got a lot of talent, but he struggled a little bit last night. I know it was only one game, but... He got um, a little flustered. He did, but, um, boy, I'll tell you what, Burroughs was lights out. I mean, he played in front of a big crowd. I mean, he's... Did you see the interview? That's what I was more impressed with after the fact, is the the kid is just very nonchalant about things. You know, he just won a national championship, and he was doing the interview and just thanking everybody and was just as cool as cool as you could be. He reminds you of like Mahomes. You know, when you see Mahomes on the football field, uh, nothing rattles the kid. And that's what you love. You know, you, he doesn't look like a deer in headlights. You know, right. I don't know if you guys watched the um, post-game interviews and stuff, but I, I like the kid. And I can understand why there's so much talk about him uh, being the first pick, you know, the first pick, uh, the first quarterback coming off the board, because he just seems like a great individual. Everything they talked about during the uh, telecast in regard to him being focused game in and game out and studying and just trying to get better and better. I mean, you know, the yeah, guy they really did talk him up, didn't they? Oh, without oh, a question yeah. of a doubt. I mean, and, you know. Uh, he went out and he performed. So, you know, I mean, what more can be said about him? He's an outstanding player. And they have other guys on that team, by the way, that I'd love to see wind up here. I mean, some of those running backs and those receivers on both sides of the football were excellent last night. They have a lot of talent, those two football teams, no question about it. Yeah, they do. Obviously, they were in the championship game. They don't get there without talent. Yeah, exactly. And one of the most impressive things uh, about Burroughs was in the first quarter, you could see that he was rattled. His passes weren't sharp. They were behind in the beginning. And he was, you know, he was nervous. You could see it. And he overcame that and then went lights out for the rest of the game. And... I think yeah, that once he settled down. Yeah, once once he got the little bit of jitters out, I mean it was he just grit his teeth and said I'm just going to win this game and uh I, that was, you know, his accuracy was was, you know, perfect. Some of those long passes were phenomenal. I mean, great catches by receivers as well, but you know, if the ball's not there, they can't catch him. So, uh, you know, it would be uh worth trading some picks for to get Mr. Burrows, I think. Yeah, you Go ahead, Mike. I was going to say, I think that's probably a pipe dream because I don't see how the Bengals would pass on him. Now, you know, they oh, could, but I don't think sure. they will. I, they'd, they'd be silly, completely silly, you know, and, and it would take half in the mortgage the farm to even get them to consider it, I Just believe. Just to make it even worse, you know, the kids from Ohio, right? It's like, it's like the perfect scenario for them. Uh, exactly. Well, we've seen crazier things happen, guys. So it, never say never. Well, I'm not saying never. I'm just saying I doubt doubt it would happen. You know, Cincinnati has a lot of needs on top of quarterback. And, you know, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Maybe there's a guy in the draft that they feel will fit into their scheme, whatever it is they do, better than Burroughs. And we have, the one thing we have is the ability to give up a lot to get what we need. I mean, we've got two number ones next year. We've got three this year. We've got two second rounders this year and next year. We have a lot. So if a team really wants to, you know, go in that direction to where, hey, you know, we can pick up three or four draft picks just by moving down four slots and let's take this quarterback instead of Burroughs, it, it, it is possible, guys. I mean, I, I wouldn't, you know, I think it'd be crazy for them to do that, but 
that team has needs everywhere. I mean, they're worse than we are. And, you know, that's, that's saying a lot because we need, we have a lot of needs on this team. Cincinnati has more. So with that being said, you never know what's going to take place. You just don't know. So we'll see. You know, I mean, I'd love to see him come here, but, you know, we'll just, uh, we'll just have to cross our fingers and, and pray that Cincinnati, uh, Decides to make a silly move. Whatever <laughs> happens, it's going to be an interesting draft day. Oh, there's no question. Yep. It's going to be interesting. It should be fun. Last weekend, we learned that uh, Jimmy Johnson made the Hall of Fame. How do you guys feel about that? Jim? Uh, I, he, was, he was great for the Dallas Cowboys. I didn't particularly like the way things went down when Shula was going out and Johnson came in. I didn't particularly love the way things went down with Dan Marino and Jimmy Johnson. Those two just uh, didn't coexist well. And, you know, he did improve our our defense very well. You know, guys like Zach Thomas and Jason Taylor and all. But Hall of Fame? Eh, I don't know. I, I have a lukewarm feeling about it. I'm just not a huge Jimmy Johnson fan. It seems kind of odd saying my own name, uh, talking about uh, the football coach. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's bittersweet. You know, I, I think there's there's other other coaches that, that have done just as much, if not more. But, uh, hey, congrats to Jimmy. I, I'm kind of on the same page as Jim. In regard to Jimmy Johnson, I I don't I don't see him as a Hall of Fame coach. I just don't. And you know you can throw Cower in there as well. Um, you know I mean he was an excellent coach. There's no question about it. But was he better than Marty Schottenheimer? He did get one Super Bowl win, so he did. You know he did have that. But you look at a guy like Schottenheimer who did it with a couple of different teams and those type of coaches. I mean, is he really you know, a guy like Cower or even a Jimmy Johnson that much better. I mean, I, you know, I, I just don't know. I mean, I think that, you know, Jimmy Johnson obviously had the championships with Dallas and he had a great run when he came here, you know, he had average success. Uh, you know, some of it, you know, wasn't his fault. I mean, we did draft some offensive players that got hurt. In early Yateel rounds, Yateel Green. Green, our first round pick, which would have helped us offensively, but and he did build a great defense here. So he he did give us that, like Jim said. You know, he he found Zach Taylor, Jason, uh, Zach Thomas, Jason Taylor, Sertan, Madison. He put a great great defense together for us those years, and you know we were a playoff team. So he also traded way down in the first round and took. John Avery instead of uh, Randy Moss, who would have been available had he not traded down. Right, he he did make his mistakes you as know, well. So he hurt us offensively as much as he helped us defensively, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I think that when it comes to Jimmy Johnson and Cower, I think that uh, it, it, Hall of Fame. I don't know. I, you know, I'm not so sure about them being Hall of Famers. You think longevity matters? Um. Yes, I do to an extent. I mean, I don't know how many years Cower coached. Um, you know, I do know that uh, Jimmy Johnson coached in 144 games in his NFL career. So okay. what is that, 10 seasons roughly? Uh, probably less than 10 yeah. seasons. Yeah. And, um, you know, Cower, he had about 240. So, you know, how many seasons does that equivalent to in regard to uh, head coaching? 14, 14, you know, he had a little bit, a little bit longer career. And he, again, he had the one Super Bowl, but you know, how many times were they there and they just couldn't get over the hump? You know, they were in other Super Bowls. So, I mean, it's a, it's a tough call. Again, we can go back and forth with this. I mean, I think they're right on the edge. I mean, some people love these guys and other people, I, I think the people that love Jimmy are either Dallas fans or Miami Hurricane fans. I wonder if the average football fan loves him. I can't say. I can't say either. Um, you know, I, I do know that Cower, he, he was a coach with the Browns prior, Kansas City prior. He was a defensive coordinator with them. And everywhere he went, he was somewhat successful. I think and, a little more likable guy. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, he, he reminded you of Shula when he was on the sideline. Yeah. You know, he had that jaw that just, yeah. you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, a yeah. more likable guy, I think. You know, and I'm not taking nothing away from Jimmy. He was successful. He was a great coach in Dallas. The The trade that he pulled off with the Vikings was incredible. Yes. I mean, so he definitely did some smart things. I'm not knocking that. I, I just don't know that, that when you look at his whole career, and, and you have to look at his years in Miami as well, I don't know if that's that's Yell's Hall of Fame to me, you know. But uh, right. I mean, sir- Mike, do you know how many years he was in Dallas? Do you guys know? Not off the top of my head. I mean, he was there for five seasons. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. I mean, that that is it. And then he was here for, what, four seasons? 96 through 99? Yeah. I mean, that's four seasons, basically. So, I mean, you know, he had success in Dallas over the, that five-year period. Nine years as a coach – you know, I, I just don't know. I mean, now, if you want to lump everything together and throw in his college year, you know, years, which you can't well, do that, because right. they have a whole separate Hall of Fame. Right. If you're doing that, then that's different. But I don't think we're doing that. No, yeah. we're not. Yeah. I mean, he's in the college Hall of Fame now. Should he? And he probably deserves he to be there. there. Absolutely. Right. You know, Cower a little bit more because his, you know, his, uh, his career with one team lasted 14 seasons. Right. Now, you know, Jimmy Johnson – with two separate teams, only coached for nine years in the NFL. I don't think that that Jimmy deserves to be there, but um, you know, obviously, people feel differently. Here's a, the the biggest thing to me with the Hall of Fame, at least recently in the last fifteen years or so. It's getting to be a bit of a not necessarily a popularity contest, but kind of a notoriety contest. So those names that people remember end up getting into the finalist columns. And then the selection committee only has so many so many available options. So, you know, man, those Cowboys were were the, you know, America's team and all that and and they saw a lot of a lot of winning and you know, they got very famous for a short period of time. It's fantastic, but uh, you know, the whole Hall of Fame thing, I I don't well, I don't think I see Jim, it. Jim, in my mind, it is a popularity contest. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, Bob Kuchenberg would be in the Hall of Fame. Well, and that's kind of what I was getting at, you know. But what we were just talking to about Jimmy Johnson is is he might not have been very popular with, you know, all the average fans. But the notoriety, the, the fact that everybody remembers Jimmy Johnson will keep him on their mind. You know, people don't remember the offensive linemen, and, and Cooch definitely should be in the hall, but, you know, he's he's not going to get recognized at this point. Yeah, let, let, let me throw something else at you guys. I mentioned Marty Schottenheimer because he came to mind. Right. Marty Schottenheimer, his career record in regular season was 226 and one tie. So, his winning percentage over the course of his NFL coaching career, he had a winning percentage of 613. So 200 wins, 126 losses. Where he right. failed was in the postseason, where Absolutely. he only won five oh, games yeah. and he lost yeah. 13 times. But you know, when you consider what this guy did over the course of his NFL coaching career, I mean, it's very comparable to what Cower and Jimmy Johnson did. Now, he didn't get the championships. Cower had the one and Jimmy had three. But the point of the matter is, is that this guy was a phenomenal coach and, and he's just as deserving if either one, you know, more than, more so than either one of these guys. But like you said, because he's on national TV week in and week out, they both are on different right. shows and they're both out there. I think they get a little bit more sure. recognition. Sure. Um, so, you know, and, and, and the other thing about Schottenheimer is the fact that he did it with three different teams. I mean, he did it with Cleveland. Uh, they had a pretty solid team there. Then he went to Kansas City and he put a solid team there. And then in San Diego, he wound up putting a solid team together. They just could not get over the hump at any point. So, you know, I mean, he's very comparable to these guys and you don't ever hear him mentioned. So well, I would mention him if somebody asked me because I always liked Marty. I thought he was an excellent coach and I thought, he, you know, he's a good human being. Absolutely. Um, you know, like I said, Cowers winning percentage was 623. So, I mean, they they are very, very comparable in regard to, you know, their regular season records. So anyway, yeah, I mean, the fact he did it with three teams and still won that many games speaks something. You it know? does. It does. And yet the other thing that we always talk about when it comes to these head coaches is 
coaches are made great by quarterbacks and you know that whole Herschel Walker trade uh you know that gave him Aikman and a whole bunch of other weapons to put together that was that was a great deal to pull off but then a lot of luck involved that all of those players really came to fruition there for those Cowboys so yeah. well, great yep. quarterback play makes for great coaches yep but I mean he was responsible for drafting those guys so I yep. think you got you got to give him the credit for it no doubt uh so some sanctions came down on the Houston Astros and uh immediately i think just about every nfl fan uh probably thought you know the nfl should be doing something similar to the patriots tell us about it lou <laughs> all right we're going to talk some baseball huh uh oh yeah you're so, my baseball guy <laughs> well I, I mean it's deserving what happened to the, the houston astros won a world series that year and um basically that came into play in regard to them stealing signs second half of that year and supposedly all through the playoffs into the World Series. Um, to it's me, like filming a practice, isn't it? Right. You can't, you <laughs> can't take the championship away from them. You know, what's done is done. But it, it's really sad that, um, that teams go that route. And, um, you know, the Patriots – I mean, they've been caught with their hand in the cookie jar on, what, three different occasions now. So, you know, it's a comparable situation. You know, baseball put their foot down. Uh, the head, you know, the manager got fired. The GM got fired. Um, they got penalized. They took draft picks away from them. I think they got fined $5 million. I mean, they got hit in every way, shape, or form. Now, in regard to the Patriots, you know, Brady got suspended that one year. They got slapped on the wrist a couple of times money-wise, which probably means nothing to, you know, those... Uh, billionaires. Those billionaires. And they really haven't done anything that affects the team itself in regard to draft picks, losing draft picks, anything like that. And something has to be said about the amount of success that they have had over the years because... Nobody has done it for as long as they have done it in any sport, period. And if, in fact, they've been doing a lot more than what has been discovered, and I wouldn't put it past them because well, don't, I... Don't you automatically assume that? If you, were, if you were caught three times, how many times weren't you caught? That's just, you know, common sense. I, I've been saying it for years that when you look at their talent and you look at what, how much they succeed, you give Belichick all the credit in the world because Brady is in fact a really he he manages the, he manages the offense great but when you look at the players and the uh, on the defensive side over the years they have solid players but they don't have the type of guys like say the Giants had um when you know when they were winning Super Bowls with Lawrence Taylor and Carl Banks and it, just a phenomenal defense they do it all with scheme and with execution. Now, if you know what the offense is throwing at you, it makes it that much easier. And they've been successful on both sides of the football for a long time. So, I mean, I you know, I don't want to go out on a limb and, and sit here and tell you that, oh, these, these guys have cheated over the last 20 years over and over again. But I think there's something to it their success and the fact that they've been successful for so long, regardless of what players are on their football team, because they have such, such turnover there. And there, there's got to be something to it. You know, I mean, it's sad. It really is. It's sad. If that's what's getting you Super Bowl victories to the point where you're stealing signals from the other team, um, it's a major advantage. And what makes you think that they wouldn't do it? I mean, right. you know, it, it's as simple exactly as that, right. you know? I mean, if they're doing it in baseball, then there's no reason why if a team has a system in place as to how they do these type of things and they've done it for years and gotten away with it, then why not? Yeah. The thing is, you know, teams have been cheating since there's been organized sports and it, you know a certain amount is going on all the time. But that, you know, that championship, is now tainted in 2017. And, you know, it's the same with some of the Patriots wins. Uh, you know, it seems like there's always something. And to just fine a billionaire a few million bucks 
doesn't do anything. They they should have done more like what they did with the baseball team. You know, suspend the the general manager and the manager. You know, get them out of the ball. You know, off the off the field. And uh, you know, if you take Belichick out of the puzzle, you know that would have changed things in New England. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, they're too much of a cash cow, guys. Well, oh, well I, exactly. But think about this for a minute, Mike. Okay, and Jim. You know, what what they did was they suspended these guys for the year, and then in turn they both got fired, okay? Now, the reason behind it, because supposedly Hinch knew of the situation, he actually, there was a couple of situations where he destroyed the the um whatever the camera, whatever they yeah. were using, he was he was against it, but he did not stop it, okay? Now, this this most recent incident, in regard to the Patriots, where Belichick said, well, you know, I don't really know anything about it. Listen, it's your job. You're the head coach, okay? Don't sit here and tell me that you don't know what's going on in your organization, because I'm not buying that. I didn't buy it when he said it, and I'm not buying it right now, and responsibility has to go somewhere. Now, at this point, accountability, accountability, absolutely. Somebody has to be responsible or or take responsibility for what took place this past season in regard to that whole situation. And as of now, I haven't heard anything from it in regard to the NFL. You look at this baseball situation, they just they investigated it and boom, everything came down and they came down hard on them. And that's exactly what should be happening to the Patriots, regardless of the fact. I mean, okay, Belichick may say he's innocent, but the point of the matter is is that somebody has to take the fall there. So who's it going to be? Probably nobody. And that's the difference between Goodell and our baseball commissioner, two different animals altogether. So it is what it is. I mean, It's frustrating. It's very frustrating because, you know, it's the integrity of the sport. Absolutely. And, you know, we may sound like, you know, well, you know, we're bashing the the Patriots and so on and so forth because they're in our division. And we do, we all hate them. The three of us I know hate them. But the point of the matter is, is that I respect teams that that are very good teams. And, And up to the point where they've gotten caught cheating over and over again. How do you respect a team like that? You just can't. You don't. You can't at this point. You know, you lose respect for them. You're like, oh, Brady's the greatest quarterback. Belichick's the greatest head coach. No, all that goes, goes out the window when you keep having these type of incidents pop up. And you look around the rest of the NFL guys, how many teams over the last 10 years have had issues in regard to this other than them? Including them, one. Who is it? Yeah, I said including them, one. One, exactly. There's how many other teams in the NFL? And there hasn't been one incident in the same time frame as the Patriots have had three separate incidents that we know of. I mean, you know, God knows how many different things get covered up, you know, because... Go ahead, Jim. The Saints had that one episode. What was that one? Well, that uh, was Bounty Gate. That Bounty was a little Gate, different. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. wasn't really cheating, it, but it, I guess you could say it was. Well, it's no, not I, in the same neighborhood, I don't think. I, I don't think it is either. I mean, right. they were playing the players to, to you know, they, they were basically getting paid to hit the quarterback. It was a hit squad. Right, right. 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 And right. they were giving them extra incentive. Now, if I'm a football player, I don't need any extra incentive to hit the quarterback on the other side of the on the other side of the uh, offensive line, defensive line. There, so the point is, is that I, that's that's not even close to what we're talking about. We're talking about cheating. Period. That's it. Cheating, plain and simple. You know, paying a guy extra money for hitting a you know getting to the quarterback on the other side is fine, but I don't consider it cheating. And they got, Mike, they got hurt. I mean, their head coach was suspended for a full season. When was Belichick suspended at any point? Never. Never. And he's the head man there. Brady took the hit for him in regard to the deflated footballs. But Belichick never got hit on any of that crap. So, you know. All of his minions take the fall for him. Right. There you go. That's what you're supposed to do, right? (laughs) If you work for Belichick, that's your job. There you go. Well, that's it. I mean, you know, no sour grapes here. Just, you know, it is what it is. It's the truth. It is what it is. Yeah. So.
All right, so last weekend we had four football games. Mm-hmm. 49ers uh, handled the Vikings pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Jim, did you watch that game? I watched some of it. I didn't watch all of it. Uh, but, you know, the whole Kirk Cousins thing was part of the problem. Uh, but the 49ers were just uh, the better team, and it showed up on game day. You know, they outplayed them pretty much on on all sides of the ball. So They did. Their defense is scary. It is. It's very solid, yep. They're very solid. They shut down Cook, and uh, that's a key to the Vikings' offense. I mean, it was a game at the end of the first half. I think it was, what, 14-10 at half? Yep, yep. And San Francisco just dominated the second half. I think Minnesota had seven first downs the whole game. And uh, they they just went out and played some serious football. And I, I got to give them all the credit in the world because the Vikings are a very solid football team on both sides, and uh, San Francisco dominated them. So they're, they're, they're going to be a threat. Right now, you would have to say that, you know, with the teams, and, and I'm not saying they're going to get by Green Bay. We'll talk about that later. But right now, if you had to pick a team out of the four remaining teams, you'd have to say that San Francisco is the favorite. And I haven't looked at any odds, you know, Vegas odds or anything like that, but I'm sure they're the favorites. Well, I can right tell now. you they're seven and a half point favorites over Green Bay. Wow. Yep. Wow. Nice number. Yep. Mm-hmm. And speaking of that, the uh, Titans are getting seven and a half points against the Chiefs. But let's talk about uh, the Ravens and Titans. Tennessee handled the Ravens, and I don't think anybody expected that. Yeah, I, I was shocked to see. Baltimore kind of shrink up and go into the shell. Uh, I think they were just as shocked as everybody else, and <laughs> they they really didn't they didn't respond. They didn't snap out of it, and they never, you know, they weren't making impact plays, and they just couldn't get anything going. And you know, Derrick Henry just kept stepping on them and and getting big first downs, and and Ryan Tannehill did just enough to to you know, get them into the end zone a couple times. So, you know, that was a shocking deal. I kept waiting for Baltimore to to do something to fix it, and it just never happened. What impressed me was the way the Titans shut down uh, the quarterback. He, he just had nowhere to go. Yeah, they did. They pushed him right out to the boundaries, and, you know, he had a few small gains, but nothing substantial. Well, you look at his play in that game, Jackson, okay, and there was never a point where – they were down by an incredible amount of points, okay? Right. Now, compare what he did to what Mahomes did in his game. <laughs> and I know I'm jumping you know, over to another game, but I'm doing it because I, wanna, I, w- I want you guys to understand where I'm going with this. Mahomes was down 24 to nothing and never panicked and just played his game and wound up getting them back into that football game to the point where they won by, I think, 20 points when it was all said and done. It was incredible. I mean, yeah. they, they, they scored how many points in a quarter? Oh, it was insane. Yeah. But, 28, I think. Yeah. But, but my point is this, is that Lamar Jackson had opportunities to get them back in that game. I mean, Tannehill did make his plays, but there was – Three points in that game where Tennessee just could have buried them. They had three straight possessions to where had they gone down and scored another touchdown, the game was over. But they kept them in the game, and every time Jackson had opportunities, especially on the two fourth and one running plays, he he wasn't able to get it. And I mean, I don't, I didn't understand the coaching on that. I mean, I'm not, yeah. I'm not allowing, uh, you know, 180 pound quarterback 190 I don't know maybe he's 200 he doesn't look more than 180 pounds and he may be bigger than that but when you got a guy like Mark Ingram behind you and you got Gus Edwards you've got big strong running backs give them the football on fourth and one and let them just pound it in there I mean why are you playing around with and he was dancing on both plays basically took the ball he didn't he didn't just get on the center and go forward you know they were they, they were not smart plays but those were just two plays among many. I mean, he had opportunities to get them back in that game. And to me, it seemed like he was pouting a lot on the sidelines. And I didn't like what I saw out of him. Whereas when you watched the Mahomes game in Kansas City, you saw him on the sideline getting everybody jacked up. Let's go. Let's go. We got this. We got yeah. this. It was two different people altogether, two different personalities. And the results were completely different 
in my eyes because of that whole situation. So, you know, Jackson's got a lot to learn. You know, when- he does. He's young. I mean, he had yeah. an incredible season. Well, Mahomes um, is young too, Mike. That's my point. I mean, yes. there, there, there's no age difference between the two of those guys. So, well, there's an experience difference, right? Yes. I was just going to say my, my point would be that uh, Mahomes has dealt with some adversity. Uh, and and Jack, I mean Lamar has just everything he did this year turned to gold. And uh, you know, I just like I mentioned earlier, I think he was shocked and he just frustrated. Yeah, yeah, he couldn't he couldn't come out of it. Where Mahomes has been in that situation before and and said, "Listen, we can make this up. It's no big deal. Let's go do it." So uh, they went out and did it. So I, just two two opposite ends of the spectrum those games. Don't you think it's on the coach a little bit to get that quarterback settled down and, and focused? Mike, yeah. I, I'm never going to knock Harbaugh. I mean, he's he's an outstanding coach. I mean, I'm not he, saying he's not, but don't you think it's his responsibility to do that? I think that as a leader on the field, um, you know, you're having plays called by your head coach, and you know, some of them I agreed with, some of them I some of them I didn't. I mean, I felt that them being aggressive on those fourth down plays were fine. Did I agree with the hit, with Jackson running the football? Probably not, but they've yeah, been- Yeah, you, you and I disagreed on the first one because I definitely thought it was too soon in the game to be stupid. Yeah, that, I yeah, thought that, was, that was a bad play as far as I'm concerned. Well, you know, the, the um, field position, Mike, I thought I was off on it. I mean, yeah. I honestly thought it was around the 50-yard line. You're no. saying it was in their own end. Yeah. So, I mean, I do agree with you to that extent. I mean, if you're in your own end and you said, I think it was, what, the 38-yard line or something? Yeah, I, I mean, think so. It may have been the 40-42, but it was right in that right. neighborhood. I mean, that's that's probably a little touch and go, but you know what? They've been successful. They, they, nothing that they have done but has, you know what? Your your defense had played well up to that point. You're only down, you know, by a touchdown. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to panic. Punt the ball, pin them back, and l- make them move on your defense. I, I totally agree with you, but the re- I can understand the reasoning behind why they did it because they've done it all year long, and oh, no, yeah. no nobody has stopped them in any way, shape, or form. Now, yeah. getting back to your question in regard to the head coach, I mean, he's sending the guys in. They had opportunity after opportunity, and they failed. I mean, the quarterback failed them, and there's only so much you can do as a head coach. Lamar Jackson was down by what? Two scores, 10 points, and he just could never do anything over and over and over again. He was just getting frustrated by the way they were playing him on defense, and he wasn't able to counter that. So, you know, you saw two different two different players out there, uh, one reacting one way, one reacting another way. I mean, I watched him as he went to the sideline, and I didn't see him doing anything but pouting over and over again. He put his head down. It looked at times it looked like he was crying on the sideline. You can't do that in the middle of a football game. There's no crying. You know, in football, I mean, right? it seemed like exactly. It seemed like he quit halfway through the game. And um, I don't know if you guys watched that whole game, but I saw it. When, when the cameras kept panning over to him on the sideline, he wasn't looking at anything. He was just sitting there. He was, you know, cursing every time he came off. And, you know, it is what it is. I mean, you got four quarters to play. He did yeah. have a rough and game. And he was used to, you know, he was used to, listen, they've been rolling over people. Yes. So, you know, he needed a little uh, reality check. Yep. So he the got it. The whole team did. Oh, yep. he got it. That's for sure. Yep. He sure did. Now let's talk about those Chiefs over the uh, Texans, 51-31. I watched the first part of that game and I was I was baffled by Houston being able to basically do what they wanted and it was 24 to nothing and I was like, man, this isn't what I expected. And then next thing you know, it's, you know, 24-14, 24-21 and I'm like, oh man, Houston's all done. And, you know, like we already mentioned, uh, Mahomes rallied the troops and they started making plays and... That was the end of it. Houston didn't really have an answer. Uh, their coach made some kind of goofy play, you know, calls himself for the, for Houston, and uh, it was all Kansas City in the second half. Yeah, they they had a weird fourth down uh, fake yeah. punt or something yeah. in their yeah. own end as well in that yeah. game, which you know, which was kind of weird. But you know, what I took from that game is the fact that. Uh, Chiefs offense is tough to stop. The Chiefs yeah. off. I mean, my God. I mean, 
if you're gonna if you're gonna cover somebody on that team, it's got to be Kelsey, right? I mean, I know Tyree Tyree Kill is fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but but the guy that moves the chains, play in and play out, is Kelsey, and yep. this guy just destroyed him. And it wasn't like he was, you know, just making phenomenal catches and Mahomes was making these incredible throws. The guy was wide open. On 90% yeah. of the plays. And I mean, and they never, ever made any changes in regard to schemes or doubling up on him to maybe get the well, ball. The announcers were saying it. The announcers were saying, you know, you can double yeah. two guys. Yeah, right. They were saying it. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm watching the game and I'm like, this is just incredible. They're just going to allow this guy to do whatever he wants to do. And and they're just going to take advantage of him. And, and that's basically what happened. I mean, you know, as I watched that game and I watched everybody on that offensive side of the football just early in that game for Kansas City just drop football after football, even more so to cover Kelsey and say, okay, you know what? Let these other guys beat us. But it's sure in the hell not going to be Kelsey. And, you know, for whatever reason, they got caught up in, in the whole, you know, in the game and it just never developed. And, Kansas City just went up and down the field, and the end result is 51 points after the first quarter. I think all 51 points came after the first yeah. quarter, right? Yep. Yep. So, unbelievable. Packers unbelievable. and Seahawks. Uh-huh. Packers and Seahawks. That was a real, real fun game. It was. It was It was the tightest game of the weekend. And I'll tell you what, um, you know, I mentioned Green Bay earlier going over to San Francisco. I think that's going to be a very good football game because Green Bay, the more you watch them, you see that they have an outstanding running game. That kid Jones is running the football, and they play very good defense. I mean, they did a really good job on Russell Wilson and Seattle's offense, okay? So you throw those two factors in, okay? And then, then when all of that is said and done and the dust clears, you're looking at Aaron Rodgers on the other side of the football, and you're like, man, oh, man. They are not even really utilizing him the way they have in years past. He's just going out there and, you know, just running the show. But when they need him, and they needed him in the fourth quarter, that third and eight or whatever it was, to seal the game, and he just sits back there with ice in his veins, and he throws a pass 40 yards down the field on the dime on a third and eight. I mean that was that was like a Marino type right thing. over the shoulder, yeah, right yep. over the shoulder. I mean, he puts it right on the money with the game on the line. Because I'll tell you what, if he doesn't hit on that play, and Russell Wilson gets the football back with two minutes plus, uh, that's a problem. That would have been a problem for them. So you know, you got to give them all the credit in the world. I like Green Bay a lot. I don't know if they're as good as San Francisco, but going into that game next week, and I guess we'll preview it, so I won't well, go we're do, any we're fr- doing it now. So we'll do ahead. it now. Yeah, All right, yeah. so you, you look at that game, okay, and you look at Aaron Rodgers on the Green Bay side of the football, and then you look at San Francisco's quarterback, Garoppolo. I mean, you know, it, it, it's hands down Rodgers that you would favor in a game like this, you know? I mean, it's it becomes a situation where – you know, which defense is going to play better because Garoppolo is very inconsistent. I mean, he's not a bad quarterback, but he's not Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't have the experience and he's he's just not the same type of quarterback. So you got to give the edge there to Green Bay. Um, you know, when it comes down to the rest of the team, the running game, the defenses, you know, you got to probably favor San Francisco on the defensive side. Uh, the running attack maybe a little bit on the Green Bay side. So I think this is a really, really good football game that we have coming at us. Would you take Green Bay and lay seven and a half points? A hundred and ten percent. I'll take Green Bay and the points in this one for yep. sure. Yep, I definitely would. What do you think, Jim? Yeah, when I look at this game, I see a really solid football team with San Francisco and the thing with them is is they don't have much to pull out of their back pocket if they need something special and and Green Bay does. They've got Aaron Rodgers and he has, you know, he's pulled some miracle plays out of his toolbox there a few times. So if this ends up being a close game and I think it will, you know, if 
if it's close and Aaron Rodgers gets the ball, boy, you know, anything can happen. So yeah, don't give him the ball uh, yeah. one score down with two minutes to go yeah. because you're probably going to lose. Yeah, you're going to hate it. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, if San Francisco can run the ball successfully and control the clock and keep Rodgers on the sidelines, that's the, that's their best shot. But, you know, I I still like Green Bay in this game. Do you? You know, I do. I, I got a feeling that Rodgers, like you mentioned, Lou, is going to have the experience and, and know how to make things happen in a playoff game. You know, I'm I'm going to say Green Bay wins this game by seven. You know, I I I know they're the underdog and all, but I just I call it a feeling or whatever. I think Green Bay is going to upset the 49ers. You know what, guys? You got Bosa playing on that defense, and I think he's going to give Rogers fits. There's there's no way I'm taking Green Bay in this game. I absolutely think San Francisco at home with that defense that's going to be tough. Well. I mean, yeah, and I get what you're saying, Mike. You're you're absolutely right. Their defense is ex- the crowd noise. Yes, you know the crowd. You know they have the home field advantage. But I mean, listen, I I'm agreeing with Jim on this one. <laughs> Simply, no, I mean, I don't I don't know if they'll upset him, but I wouldn't be surprised if they do. I you know I still think San Francisco will somehow pull it out because of their defense, but. Right. If you look at their offense, Mike, San Francisco's offense, okay? Now, where's it coming from? It's coming from Kittle. He's their tight end. You take him away from them, and they have Emmanuel Sanders. They have Samuel, the the rookie receiver. They have have decent running backs and Coleman and Breida. They're okay. You go over to the Green Bay side of the football – and you're dealing with a guy like Aaron Rodgers and a guy like Devontae Adams, who is probably top three wide receiver in the NFL right now, and then Aaron Jones at running back, and then you've got Jimmy Graham, who you know just so happens to you know catch touchdowns every once in a while. You've <laughs> yeah. got a lot of guys on that team that you have to be concerned with as compared to on the San Francisco offensive side. So that kind of tightens the game up a little bit, Mike. You know, I mean, th- these two teams are very, very even. It's going to be very fun. even. It's going to be a lot yeah. of fun. I mean, th- some of the team, you know, San Francisco has strengths on their side, and Green Bay has strengths on their side, and they both play into each other and this game can go either way it really can it can go either way like you said mike if boza if boza gets there and makes the play it's going to go san francisco's way but if boza doesn't quite get there and it's a touchdown then it's green bay's way rogers is rogers they've got it they've got to control him i mean there's no question about that but that defense might be good enough to do that yeah, they might be. be. They have to stop the running game too, Mike, like I yes. said, because, yes. you know, don't think of them as, you know, their running game as an afterthought because that's what's carried them. That's this what year. they do. Oh, right? yeah. Yep. Right. Well, Garoppolo, you're going to run. Um, no, no, no. I'm talking about on the Green Bay side with Aaron oh. Jones. I'm talking about their running game. They're yes. not an afterthought. Yeah, no, no. I understand that. They're, Rogers is getting older. They're, they're focusing on the run game. Mm-hmm. Is Tannehill going to the Super Bowl? <laughs> Good, Jim. Man, you're going to throw me under the bus on this. Uh, you know, I don't think Tannehill is going to be able to get enough done against these Chiefs. You to... know, we said that last week. No, I understand completely, but the Chiefs are a better offense than either of what, well, they're not really better than Baltimore, but after seeing what the Chiefs just did to them, uh, you know, in that in that Houston game being down and coming back like they did, uh, that that just tells me that they're going to be able to make plays. They're and explosive. They're going to be at. They're going to be at home. Uh, Tennessee has played very well. Tannehill has played very well. You know, Henry has been an absolute beast. You know, 180 yards in the last uh, last two games. Both. Uh, that's crazy. And when you can run that much, it makes it the the game, the passing game, so much easier. And and Tannehill had touchdown passes and everything, but. I just don't see them being able to control the game enough and being able to outscore the Chiefs. So I think uh, Tannehill is going to be one game short of the Super Bowl. I mean, th- this game is really interesting because you have on one, si- on one side is. of the football, right, you have a-, a running game with a phenomenal offensive line, okay? And you've got a running back that's just phenomenal. 
Now, with that being said, on the opposite side, Kansas City's defense is not their strength by no means. I mean, they struggle. I mean, they had one of their best defensive linemen out last week. I don't know if he's back this week in, in Jones, um, which is key. They have to have him on the field. Now, if you watched the game against Baltimore last week, there were times where Tannehill had all day to throw the football. He was just sitting flat-footed. And, you know, you can attribute that to great offensive line play. Now, with that being said... If they can control the line of scrimmage and they can win the time of possession battle, they can stay in this football game if they keep Mahomes off the football field. Now, on the opposite side, you've got a team that doesn't run the football well, that they're based strictly on passing the ball, even to the running backs. They use their running backs as just, you know, two more receivers or one more receiver on the field. So you're looking at an offense that is just based on a passing game, a completely different end of the spectrum. Yep. And it's going to be very interesting to see how they match up. Now, the key to this whole football game is everybody may say it's Henry and everybody may say it's Mahomes or any, you know, they may pick individual players, but the key to this whole game is, is Tennessee's defense and how, if and how they can stop Kansas City to some extent. I totally agree with you. If they can keep them in the 20-point range, they can win this football game. They can win it simply by running the football, having Tannehill play action, throw a few balls down the field, make some plays, and get some points because Kansas City's defense is not that good. If Tennessee's defense does not stop Mahomes in any way, shape, or form and doesn't keep them to around 20 points, they're not going to win the game because I don't think they have enough offensive firepower to go toe-to-toe with Kansas City. Exactly. I think if, you know, if Kansas City puts up 28, 30 points, then Tennessee's not winning this football game. Right. So unless they, unless they get defensive scores or something like that, yeah. Right, they get some breaks. It, it right. all falls down on Tennessee's defense and how way how well they keep them in that football game. Yep. Because again, you know, the running back's going to get his yards. It's as simple as that. You're not going to stop them. I, you know, Kansas City doesn't have the uh, they don't have the firepower on that on the defensive side of the football. I mean, they're going to have to put ten guys in the box if they want to stop. <laughs> them it's that simple yep so so who are you picking i'm picking kansas city i mean yeah. for, for you know for the simple fact that they're at home and i think they just have a little too much offense for tennessee's defense but i don't think this game is going to be a blowout by no means either i, I think- don't either uh i i like Mahomes though i really do and yes you know if i gotta pick Tannehill or Mahomes, i'm going Mahomes. and the question is exactly what you said uh, is Tennessee's defense up to the task? If yes. they are, then Tennessee can win. Yep. Uh, anything else you guys want to add tonight? I think we covered everything, Mike, didn't we? Did, I yeah, think we did. Did you check off all your little boxes? All my boxes are checked. All right, then I think we're good to go. There you go. Right. <laughs> we will talk to everybody next week. All right. Until then, fins up. Fins up, everybody. Fins up, doll fans. All right, so that's our show for this week. I just want to remind everyone that the FinFans podcast is part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. 